This is Women With Books, a collection of conversations about your favorite books, media, and all of the fabulous things in life. Curated by me, author Lindsay Emery. I'm so glad you're a part of today's chat. Welcome to our very special Women With Books guest today, Kristen Higgins. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. Oh my goodness. What a pleasure. I'm not lying when I say that you have been on my podcast bucket list for a really long time. Oh, that's so great. And so I, I was so happy when I finally like took up, got the nerve to say, um, you guys, Kristen has a new book coming out. Do you think you could get her on? <laughs> <laughs> Just in case we have aliens from another galaxy listening, why don't you tell the audience what you write? Sure. I write uh, women's fiction and uh, started off writing uh, romance and kind of quickly morphed into what we call women's fiction, where the tale is more about the journey of the female protagonist or protagonists, and um, and there's generally a romance in the story, but it's not front and center. I started writing when my son was three. He's now a junior in college. I always thought like one or two books, but Life and Other Inconveniences is my 19th. I'm not sure quite how that happened. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, you need to update your website because I wrote 18 down. <laughs> so I do. I do need to. I, as of today. <laughs> yeah, it just came out today. So yeah, you're not too late. Um, well, like I said, I'm a big fan, and I've actually kind of held you on a pedestal for years. Oh, um, thank in my you. mind, you are a romance landia superhero. Oh. And I'll tell you why. Because the first RWA I ever went to was one where you had a broken foot, I think. <laughs> yes, I broke my leg one year. <laughs> Drama queen. <laughs> and right. Well, it wasn't that. It was it was my first RW, uh, RWA. I was so nervous, so overwhelmed, so like starstruck. You know, I'm in an elevator with all these names that are on my bookshelf and people are going, Kristen Higgins came with a broken foot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got a lot of doors held for me. I got to jump the line, you know. <laughs> But I just remember thinking like, oh, this is this means so much to her. She came with yeah. a broken or leg, broken yeah. leg. It was. It's a. It's a. It is an important community for me. And, you know, my first friends in writing I found through Romance Writers of America, um, my local chapter, national, and I was really embraced right away, which was shocking to me. You know, I didn't know any published authors when I went to my first conference, and. Uh, it was so easy to make friends and get to know people and other writers were so generous with their advice and their time and and now I'm friends with some of those rock stars that I you know idolized at my first couple conferences and um, and I wanted to be like them and and pay that forward oh my goodness I I can see you doing that because like I said you've just you've been a model on how for in my mind, at least, on how authors can handle their careers with grace and humor and humility. And you also have a husband who is also fairly well known. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> and and you've even mentioned him on stage at RWA. A few times, yes. <laughs> My husband is a, a firefighter, which, what could be sexier, right? And just perfect, you know, a, a, a romance writer and a firefighter and their two lovely children. <laughs> I tell you, um, I feel a little uncomfortable telling you this, but I actually um, developed a crush on him last year not at alone. RWA. <laughs> I know. He has a cult-like following, I just want you know. He's... Oh, my gosh. I, I just have to tell this story. Um, because after the Rita Awards, there was a dance party. And I bet you know what I'm about to say. And someone fell down and hurt themselves. And across the dance floor, I see your husband, Mick Irish. Can mm-hmm. I call him that? Mm-hmm running like to to save this woman and he takes off his jacket and he makes this pillow for her and i didn't really see what was happening because it was so crowded but in my mind he's like checking her vitals and and calling for backup and (laughs) yeah i think she fell and broke her nose and uh and so i know i was a, a good supportive staff there i got ice and a towel and he uh, he checked on her to make sure she didn't hurt anything else. But yeah, it's second nature to him. We were, in fact, we were out with my editor one time, and um, someone fainted in the restaurant, and he was over there like a shot. And my editor turned around. She said, "He's always like this, isn't he?" And I said, "He really is. <laughs> he really is." Yeah. Well, no one cares about you getting ice, Kristen. I know. All we care and about. It's so <laughs> All we care about is that hero you married. I know. Yes. Oh, my goodness. A great guy. A wonderful husband. Also, you mentioned your children. You have two beautiful children. And again, this is something I look up to because I have, um, my oldest is just starting high school. Oh, wow. And so I can look at, (laughs) I'm going to, I might get emotional, but I'm looking at you and the beautiful relationship you have with your older children. And I'm like, okay, that's what I'm going for, Mm -hmm. right? I've got to just get them out of high school without trying heroin or like like they're like mom is that seriously your goal i'm like yes "Yes, that is my goal (laughs) yeah yeah it's um i've been really really lucky with my children and uh uh, my daughter the princess as i call her online is 23 and in um a nursing medical school at mass general in boston and my son is uh is uh, almost 21 and a double major in political science and psychology and they're both really good kids and I I vowed early on that I I would love them more every day and not not look back and say I miss when you were little which of course you know there are times when you do that's just human nature but um but I really enjoy having adult children they're funny they're smart you know they're my friends now Oh, this I am going to cry because that has exactly been my philosophy ever since they were babies. I think when they turned like one week old or a month old, I found myself starting to get like, oh, I wish you, you know, it's going so fast. Mm-hmm. And I kind of just said, stop it. You can't be like this because this stage, this stage is what I've got right yeah. now. And I have to love them right now mm-hmm. um, more than I've ever loved them. And, um, ah, Okay. We're not going to cry so much, except we're going to talk about your book, which might make me cry, too. (laughs) Which also has a lot of uh, mother-daughter relationships in it. Uh, But before we get to that, I did want to also mention that you have a podcast. I do. uh, Called Crappy Friends. (laughs) And I have to know, 
Why did you come up with that really attractive title? Well, my my co-host, Joste, and I are longtime, very dear friends. And I think we really kind of made that leap into deeper friendship in a year when we were both dumped by friends and female friends. And we we didn't know how to handle it because so much of the time women approach friendship as this is going to be my friend until my deathbed. And and when that friendship breaks or peters out or one person changes their mind, there's really no resources for it. And you're you know, there's ten thousand books in the bookstore about how to get over a romantic relationship, but there's nothing about how to get over your your girlfriend. And women place so much emphasis on friendship, such an integral part of our lives. So we kind of confided into each other, like, I'm, I'm having a hard time. You know, I, I lost this friend, not by death, but by choice. And, and we just kind of talked about that and said, like, we didn't, we didn't know where to put our feelings. So we decided we weren't alone. And we... Uh, we started this podcast, you know, very bare bones. We're usually sitting in my kitchen or Joss's living room, drinking a glass of wine with our dogs around. And we get letters from people who say, I've had this friendship problem and I, I don't know what to do. It was so unexpected or I'm friends with this person and I really don't like her, but I don't know how to end our friendship. And it's been really, really fun. And Joss and I have a lot of laughs um, and, uh, and we've learned a lot, and we love hearing from from our listeners. And sometimes they write back and say, "I took your advice, and this is what happened." And so it's a lot of fun. I just think that I, I enjoy it, and it's it's kind of like a peek into you know other people's lives. It's so um, interesting, also for me as a writer. Um, but obviously, you are the kind of person who gives really good advice, and so. It's no surprise that when I ask some reader and author friends what I should ask Kristen Higgins, they all wanted advice from you. Oh, that's so flattering. I thought we could do like a little version here, a little advice column called Dear Kristen. (laughs) Sure. And you could answer some of their questions. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Question number one. Dear Kristen. How do you focus on writing and a career when the world is a dumpster fire and Twitter threatens to barbecue you over the dumpster fire and eat you with chopsticks? Mm. Yeah, that is a great question. And I think every writer and creative person is struggling with that these days. Um, I think that you have to remember what books do for you and how you've escaped in them and how they've saved you at different times. And and honor yourself that you're doing the same at whatever level you're published or not published, that you're creating a gift for someone to soothe them, to comfort them, to to occupy them. And, um, and I think that, you know, when you remember that it's not just writing, it's, it's creating an escape and a world and characters that people will be able to look to as role models then it starts to feel more important than I'm just going to go write a a book, you know. But I I think, like, in terms of practical advice, turn off the Internet, you know, get one of those apps that shuts off your browser and, um, and spend a few hours with some nice music in the background and, and say, 
the world and its dumpster fire will be here when I'm done. Let me have this time (laughs) to create something better. So good. So good. (laughs) All right. Number two, dear Kristen, what's the one thing you would go back in time and tell young Kristen when she was about to dip her toes into writing or publishing? Um, I think I would, no, I wasn't that young. So um, (laughs) I was in my 30s when I started writing fiction. And so I think what I would tell myself is let go of the things you can't control. You know, we are not in control of how many books sell, what readers think, um, what fellow authors think. We only control the book that we are writing. And, um, and if you get too caught up in where you are on lists or, or making lists or not hitting lists or someone else was doing better um, or someone who was mean to you at a conference or something, then you, you know, you get kind of tangled up. And um, the best advice that I got when I was a baby writer was from Cindy Gerard, who, who's this wonderful suspense writer, and we have the same agent. And she said, my best advice to you is to ignore everyone. Don't listen to the market. Don't listen to how you're supposed to do things. Never do this. Always do that. She said, just keep your head down and do your thing. And, um, and I remember that advice quite often. So, um, so let go of those things that, that are out of your hands. You know, the readers are the ones who make bestsellers. A book strikes a nerve or it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do sometimes with the quality of the book. There's talent, luck, and timing. And you can only control one of those things. So keep trying to be a better writer and, and let those sales and book covers and, you know, other things go because you if you get all tangled up in knots over them you know you're just wasting your energy question number three dear Kristen how can I meet a man like Mick Irish (laughs) i.e. are all the good ones taken oh that's a tough question um I met Mick Irish when he was uh, I call him my child bride he was younger than I was um I didn't know it at the time but um I got him young and I trained him well (laughs) like a puppy (laughs) So he, um, you know, he's he's got this innate kindness and thoughtfulness. And um, on paper, when we met, he was the kind of boy that, you know, made my mother clutch her heart and think, what are you doing marrying this guy? He was um, unemployed at the time. He was young. He um, he didn't have the greatest job prospects and he wanted to be a firefighter but he wasn't one yet and um and I said no mom he's the one you know he he's so kind and so I think like you don't need to look for the Joe Manganiello or Denzel Washington guy I mean obviously if they look like that that's just a big plus (laughs) but um but what you want to look for is the guy who's who's kind, who, who's nice to the barista and holds the door for the people behind him and stops to pet the dog. Question number four. Dear Kristen, was it hard going from the romance genre to women's fiction? It really wasn't for me. I think that my romance immediately was about more than the couple. There were always families and job issues. And um, I think some of my 
my romances could could be considered women's fiction. It's just a matter of packaging sometimes. And I think that's true, um, you know, with a lot of authors like Jasmine Guillory and Helen Huang, who are, you know, published in trade and, and called women's fiction, and yet they're really focused on the, this couple getting together. I don't, I don't care what you call it. You know, I just want a, a book with a lot of heart. So it wasn't difficult. I think I was drifting that way anyway. And then my publisher just decided to package me. So my advice to writers is don't worry about the label. If you want to call it romantic women's fiction or romance with uh, women's fiction elements, whatever you want, um, I really think it matters less and less. Love that, especially because now I want to talk about the new book, Life and Other Inconveniences. Uh, This is one of the best books I read this year. Oh, thank you. I read it on vacation. Oh, my gosh. It is so good. I've been gushing about it to everyone because I just don't know. I mean, the the cover is so cute with the dog, but I just don't know if that really can accurately show everything that's in this book. It's, I'm just going to go ahead and say it It has it all. It has family, romance, um, drama, humor, multi-generational issues, Mm. uh, class issues, asshole (laughs) ex-husbands. It's like, it really, I mean, when I say it has something for everyone, I really do think that this is the book that a grandma, mom, daughter could all read and all take something out of it that helps inform their own lives and their 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 women their their people's lives you know thank you um so it's just thank you so much and as a mom of teenagers i've already said this that um parts of it were a little hard for me to read because you do focus on the the mom daughter teenage daughter relationship but mm-hmm. um but it also again showed me you know a beautiful way of looking at things and a graceful humorous way of looking at parenting that Um, I I really need to read. So thank you so much for this book. You're welcome. If you want to retire now, you could just, (laughs) you could just leave it. (laughs) I've got a few in the hopper coming down the line. Um. Oh, damn it. No, sorry. (laughs) Tell me about how you got the idea for the book. Well, I, um, I wanted to write an older heroine. And when I say older, I don't mean looking at 40. Genevieve London is 85 years old. And... Um, I've always loved having multi-generational characters, but I've never done a point-of-view character who's that old. Um, so I wanted to write about a woman who has been given a lot, who has lost a tremendous amount. Um, her son goes missing when he's seven years old, and three years later her husband dies. And, um, and she's you know not even 40 at the time. And she's left to raise her surviving son. And what she does is she founds a fashion empire. And for years, that's her her solace with this tremendous loss in her past. And um, it becomes her identity of being successful and brilliant and, and uh, you know, a voice in fashion. And, and then she gets older. And so... I wanted to talk about the realities of aging and how your self-image changes or doesn't change as you get older, but maybe the world looks at you differently. 
Um, so Genevieve is 85 years old. She's looking at the end of her life, and she has one big regret, one big thing left undone, which is reconciling with her granddaughter, Emma, who's now 35. Emma lived with her for 10 years after Emma's own mother died. And when Emma was 18, she got pregnant, which was not the plan that Genevieve had for her. Um, so she kicks her out. And Emma goes back to Chicago and lives with her maternal grandfather and has her baby. And now Riley, her, her daughter, is 16 years old. And they get the call from Genevieve. I'm dying. I want you to come home um, and and take care of me. And it's one of those deals with the devil, you know. Emma can't resist going. She thinks, like, we're not going to go. Absolutely not. You kicked me out when I was pregnant. We had very harsh words, and you have not picked up the phone since. And yet her daughter's being bullied in school. Um, her friendship group is falling apart, and Riley really wants to meet this legendary great-grandmother of hers. So they pack up and go to Connecticut for the summer and uh, and try to get things straightened out. So I've got, you know, the, the three generations of London women uh, as point-of-view characters, and they're so different, you know. Emma is a self-made woman. She worked at a grocery store, putting herself through her college and graduate school, um, raising her daughter, she was, you know, completely in love with her child and still is. And I really wanted to write a teenager who wasn't that kind of exhausted, snarky cynic that we see a lot in in, uh, mm-hmm. in entertainment. Riley is very innocent and open-hearted, and she's smart, but she's also taken by surprise when the typical teenage things start happening to her, you know, friends starting to get bitchy and, and turn on each other and and uh, being being left out and just at the point where she thinks, I'm not a kid anymore and I'm, I'm not sure how to be a teenager, really. But what she has is this bond with her mother and this curiosity about life, including Genevieve. So... Um, so it was really fun to write from all three perspectives. I really feel like these were real people, too. Like, I'm, I'm listening to you say all this, and I'm going back to the book and going, like, I wonder what they're doing now. I wonder how everyone's doing. <laughs> they're doing and, great. <laughs> um, okay, good, good. Uh, you talked a lot about mental, or you kind of really dived into some mental health things. Um, Emma is a uh, therapist, mm-hmm. and Genevieve is going through... Um, a chronic brain disease, mm-hmm. I guess. And um, did you do research on those areas? Oh, yes. or, or yeah. Are you just really good at giving advice? <laughs> and so you write a no. therapist character. <laughs> right up in the front of the acknowledgments are the people who, who, who really know stuff. Um, I consulted with a psychologist, um, uh, an MD, uh, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, Emma's mom commits suicide when Emma is eight. Mm. And um, and I wanted to get those things right. I'm always very concerned about presenting more than my own understanding or my own experiences. So I, I do love to research uh, the issues that I'm writing about. And I spend a lot of time doing that. So, you know, I hope to get a very accurate um portrayal of what it's like uh, to to 
be a therapist or to have a mental health issue or to be the child of a suicide uh, victim and um, and what's what the sequela are of those things um, what it's like you know how would how would you look at your own daughter if your mom had taken her own life and struggled with depression for so long how how much do you know in your heart and know in your head and how do those things clash um, and Genevieve is very intolerant of asking for help you know she thinks that's a sign of weakness and she often pokes fun at at um, at Emma and her profession she calls it rent a friend and um, and yet she could really use some counseling herself which Emma points right. out time and time again uh, so yeah there's a lot of research that goes into that um, and uh, and I give a shout out to the people who helped me and the organizations that helped me that's really a theme of the book I think is is kind of caretaking and how you have to kind of take care of all the different types of people in your life and how sometimes you're asked to do it when you don't really want to and how you can make bad decisions when you're doing so. I mean, because everyone in the book is is having to step up. Um, oh, I forget the the male lead character. Miller. Um, Miller. He's doing a bad job parenting, oh, he, yeah. and yet there's... He, <laughs> no, I mean, at first, I mean, come on. I think it's so beginning. Hard. Yes. He's, yeah. And then, you know, there's an asshole ex-husband who doesn't... There's a couple of asshole ex-husbands <laughs> that, you know, um, <laughs> that can't quite step up to mm-hmm. the plate when it's needed. And, um, but again, I think in this dumpster fire age, it's nice to see that people, we are all expected to take care of each other in some ways. And, you know, like what those ways look like can still be done in healthy with healthy boundaries, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I'm getting from it. Oh, anyway. that's a lovely, <laughs> a lovely take on it, um, how we take care of each other. Yeah, Miller um, is a, another lead character, and he's a single dad with the world's worst toddler on his hands. And um, I have to say that the interwebs provided me with the character of Tess, his three-year-old uh, terror. <laughs> Because, of course, I only had angels. And um, <laughs> so I, I asked I asked on Facebook one day, what's the worst thing your toddler ever did? And the the answers were so hilarious. And, and you think, like, I can't believe people survive those early years, you know, when your, your kid hides in the department store or, you know, gets into the cabinet they're not supposed to or smears the cat with desitin, as Tess does. Um, so Miller is, he's trying so hard to take care of this child, um, his, his daughter, but he's so racked with grief. He thinks he's doing a terrible job. Um, and Genevieve, you know, she does her best when she's presented with eight-year-old Emma, this, this broken little girl who just lost her mom and is being abandoned by her terrible father. Um, but I think one of the things that I like to explore in all my books is how did this character get to be like this? You know, for me, mm-hmm. it's not enough to write the cold, disapproving grandmother. We have to know why is she cold and disapproving and, and why is there this great wall between her and Emma whom she, she must love on some level? And, um, and why is Clark the world's worst husband and father? Um, why, how can you leave your eight-year-old child or your one-year-old child because he has another daughter in the story 
Mm -hmm. um, a daughter with special needs. And again, he gives her to Genevieve to take care of. And, um, and that's one situation where Genevieve really rises to the occasion and takes wonderful care of, of Hope and really provides for her. Um, and uh, that's what Emma wants to get out of this summer is guardianship of her half-sister who's much younger. Um, so, yeah, it is a book about how we care for each other and, and rising to the occasion or not and, um, mm-hmm. and what, what's left behind when you can't. Um, yeah, I say it's, and I think the fact that I want to keep talking about it just shows what a good book club book this would be. <laughs> Thank you. So everyone out there, if your book club needs a book, this is the one to get. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's 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 there's a lot to it. There's a lot to chew on, and yet with with all my books, um, you know, there's there's always a redemption. I say this is a story of love, loss, and redemption, and it's a love story on many levels. It's the love. Uh, between generations, mother, daughter, romantic love, unexpected friendships, when you think that time of your life is closed off, uh, unexpected allies, you know, people you think you would never be friends with. Um, So the redemption part is really important to me as a writer, no matter what my characters go through, and they've gone through some rough stuff. I, I want them to come out better for having loved the people in their lives the way they did. And, um, and, and they do, you know. I mean, it's a rare character in my books that, who does not find redemption. Well, obviously, I'm recommending your book, but I always love to give my guests a chance to recommend other books or let us know what you've been reading or what you would be telling people to get right now. So is there something that you've been reading a lot lately or that you would be recommending or do... Is yeah. there something you always and recommend when people ask you for recommendations? I do. I even give out um, postcards of my favorite authors at book signings because a lot of people do like to know what you know. What are you reading, and and who are the authors you love? So, I am really excited about Kennedy Ryan these days. She writes a very steamy romantic women's fiction, I would say, and she just won the Rita Award. Uh, becoming the the first black woman to win um, the Rita Award in Romance Writers of America. So well-deserved. That book was amazing. It's called Long Shot, and um, it's a difficult read. It examines domestic abuse and violence, and um, and it's an amazing, beautiful story. Um, lighter stuff, I like Alexis Daria, Priscilla Oliveras. Um, they both write really fun, warm, romantic comedy, I would say. Uh, Pris, Priscilla Oliveras has a lot of family in her books, which I always love. Um, mm-hmm. Nana Malone is one of my favorite writers and has been for ages, and she's very prolific, which is convenient for me. And she had a, a really <laughs> delightful royal series, so if, you, if you're one of those readers who loves anything with a prince or a duke or, you know... Uh, some cheeky hot Brit, then she's your she's your girl. Uh, Quana Jackson is uh, one of my favorite authors for small town romance, and she also does that multi generational thing so well. Um, I just finished Colleen Oakley's book, uh, You Were There Too, and that was amazing. That was a really beautiful, complicated story. Um, it was like this, uh, set in the the 
height of summer and she writes so vividly you know you could hear the cicadas buzzing and um and really a very fascinating concept of what if you literally meet the man of your dreams this woman has been dreaming all her life of a man a stranger and then she meets him and finds out that he's been dreaming of her too so they have this strange connection but they are strangers um, and she's happily married. So, um, so those are some of my. Oh, that's a twist. I know, <laughs> I know. It's a really, it's a really interesting, complicated story. I love Catherine Center, who wrote How to Walk Away, and she has a new book coming out called Things You Take in the Fire. Um, and again, like uh, romantic women's fiction, but some real depth and heart to it. So, um, so I'm really, I'm very, a very happy reader these days my, my biggest problem is I can't read enough <laughs> you know I have a job to do right <laughs> but um but yeah I've read a lot of great books this summer isn't the best thing to do as a I as an author is to recommend really good books it's just the most pleasurable thing I can think mm-hmm. of absolutely well um I think we have just enough time for the lightning round are you okay. up for it I'm ready okay um, I ask you a series. I have got about 10 questions here, and you just spit out your answers. There's no wrong or right answer except for one question. Okay. <laughs> okay. Dark or milk chocolate? Milk. Coffee or tea? Coffee. When your phone rings, do you answer it? No. <laughs> How do you usually waste time on the internet? Um, I guess uh, research. Those rabbit holes. On your next vacation, will it be to the mountains or the beach? Beach. Do you call it soda or pop? Soda. On a romance hero, do you prefer abs, forearms, or that chiseled jaw? Forearms. I've got an arm thing. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Jeremy Ranner. (laughs) (laughs) Are you more likely to buy a book cover with abs on it or a beach scene? Um, probably a beach scene. And very important, last question. What are your feelings about turning to the last page of a book first? Never. Never. Correct answer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad I got it right. (laughs) I will say that after all these uh, episodes of asking that question, I have heard very good reasons why people do it. So, um... And actually, I think I just mentioned your book, uh, Life and Other Inconveniences, as a reason why I wanted to flip to the end, because at about 75%, I think I was sobbing or very, very worried about how that book was going to end. And so I was like, oh, Kristen, you better not be doing this to me. And I didn't, did I? You didn't, because I, I, I even told a bunch of people in New York, I'm like, Kristen Higgins knows that if she did that, she would be dead to us. <laughs> it does. So readers, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. It's okay to get to that 75% mark and feel like this book, everyone is like falling apart. It'll be okay. Kristen Higgins wraps it back up. Which I think is a good way to wrap this podcast up. <laughs> All right. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for being on and good luck with this book. I hope that it is a tremendous success and brings many people a lot of happiness. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It was really fun talking with you. 
Thank you for joining me today. If you love this conversation, please leave a review or consider supporting the podcast at the link in the show notes. For a list of books discussed in this episode and other fabulous content, sign up for my newsletter at womenwithbooks.com. And remember, keep reading.